I'm going to continue this morning talking about Psalm 91. Only this morning did I discover, because uh, Martin told me, that the prayer group meet each week, and every week they read Psalm 91. That's what I understand. And there's a reason for that, of course. It is the most brilliant, brilliant psalm imaginable. And uh, I've read it for years and years, and it's always, always blessed me entirely and wholly. And I just want to continue, really, where I left off last week. And I'll come and read the psalm in a minute thoroughly, but I want to make one or two kind of little comments. Sometimes in our life, in our culture, in our present reality, the atmosphere begins to turn toxic before our eyes. And it ceases to be less inviting. It ceases to reflect who we are. And somehow we feel it's not where we want to be, and it's got a life of its own, and it becomes darker and darker, less inviting, and we become more and more influenced by the atmosphere that's around us, and that can be the atmosphere of our nation, can be the atmosphere of our workplace, can be our home life, and it can even be church. It ceases to lift us up and represent who we really are. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just long for good news. I just long to listen to and hear something and experience something that's really positive, something that uplifts my spirit. And I love being with Christians who uplift my spirit, because that is called fellowship in the Bible. Something that really speaks to you, something almost without words, just elevates your spirit and reflect who you are and where you want to be in life. Something that lifts us up so that faith, hear this, so that faith in the living God can arise. Pastor the church, and the day I took it over, and I was there on the Sunday, the very first Sunday, I recognized it was like a tarpaulin of depression on the whole congregation. And I decided that the only thing I could do, because I felt it keenly, was to preach for six months faith. To actually break through that oppression, sense of depression, and somehow let faith arise. Why, my soul, are you downcast? David said, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then speaks to himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Regardless of the circumstances, how you feel. I got a phone call from one of my grandchildren the other day, from South Africa, saying, Gandhi, call me Gandhi, can you help me? He says, something's happened, 
and I really feel upset by it, depressed by it, and I want to react to it. And I said, do not react to an external influence because it will change your mood. Be careful of your mood, the atmosphere that's around you. Let it be positive. Don't go down with the mood that you find yourself in, the atmosphere that you find yourself in. Well, as I speak to my soul this morning, I read Psalm 91. And this psalm is said to be by Campbell Morgan, one of the greatest possessions of the saints, Christian believers. Because the list of promises, the word of God, the promises of God, here. He speaks them out, and they're for us. And he says, I will rescue him. I will rescue you. I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will set you in a high place. I will answer you. I will respond to you. I will speak to you. This is God saying this to us, his children. I will be with you in trouble. In your afflictions, in your distress, I am. I will be with you. I will deliver you. I will rescue you. I will bring you to safety. Can any prime minister say that? Can your doctor say that? Can your partner say that? Can any other leader that you know of say that? Can your best friend say it? I will honor them. I will make them rich and strong. I will give them long life and I will satisfy them and I will show them my salvation and they will see my deliverance. See, the culture that we've been bought into, born into, and we have at birth entered into the hiss of Satan, the voice of Satan, the enemy. The father of lies, the one who murders, the one who steals, the one who pollutes the whole world, the one who brings this oppression and suppression and dumbs down and enslaves and captivates. And in John 8, it talks about it. This is the father of lies. The God, small g, of this earth, of this world. And the problem is that the whole of society plays into that mood music and into that culture. And sadly, the church can play into that culture and into that environment quite easily. And that becomes the mood around us. Before too long, we're partakers of it. We drink from it. But in this psalm of incredible promises, it mentions the names of God, Elion. He is the Most High. And whenever it mentions that name of God, Elion, it means, and it's linked with, priestly worship and praise. Priestly praise. 
Now listen, this God that we've been singing about is the God of praise. And you know that praise always precedes power. In heavenly places right now, there is praise for the living God. What happened when Paul and Silas were taken from the streets and into a court of law and they were beaten and thrashed severely with heavy sticks and they were taken such a heavy beating and cast into the prison cells for doing nothing but going to a place of prayer and casting out a demon that a woman was being influenced by and speaking to them and proclaiming God, but falsely. How do we find them at midnight? How would you find me at midnight when everything has gone wrong and I'm in prison, I'm being beaten for my faith? How would, what would I be doing at midnight? Weeping, crying, depression, heaviness, oppression. They were singing, singing praises to God. They were singing praises to God opposite to the culture and mood that they found themselves in. Opposite. When God appeared and blew the doors off the prison and out they walked. Praise preceding power. What were they doing, the, 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 the disciples? In Acts 2, in the upper room, they were singing hymns, they were praising. When all of a sudden, bang! presence of the Holy Spirit came upon them, filling them all with his presence. Praise, preceding, power. And I say this to the risen church of Jesus Christ this morning and in our corporate gathering together, if we do not get a hold of praise, we will never see the power. Whenever we come together corporately, and I'm not talking about our individual lives, but I could be because we bring that praise together corporately, but there is nothing like corporate praise that lifts the roof off the building, that is all embracing, that shakes the foundations. Praise, praise of Almighty God. Name of God of the Most High. Elion, God of praise. You can praise yourself out of your situation. You can change the mood of your heart and your life and the culture around you by praising. And church is supposed to do that. We're supposed to come to church and go out feeling better than when we come in. We go out as victors. Because praise lifts us up. The second name of God that's mentioned is Shaddai, Almighty, Most Powerful. This God, Almighty and Most Powerful. Is my sickness more powerful than me? Is this epidemic more powerful than me? More powerful than the church? Is the culture more powerful than us? 
Absolutely not. He is almighty, all-powerful, supersedes everything. In fact, all-powerful, the God of Zion, God of the mountains, the highest mountains. I went to Switzerland for my son's wedding uh, when he got married many years ago. First time I've been to this part of Switzerland. And by this part of Switzerland, we're up and we could, the, 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 the wedding was taken uh, in, in a lovely church by Lake Tune, and I could stand just outside the church in the gardens and I could see all the snow-capped mountains around them. I was in the Alps. And there is the Eiger. And it's absolutely magnificent. And I'm taking a little video of, of the wedding. And, uh, and I'm not watching the wedding. I'm looking at the mountains. And I'm saying to myself, I didn't realize it, wow, wow, wow. Wow, he is the God of the mountains. Wow. Shaddai, your God. He's named himself your God. Yahweh, he's Yahweh. The great I am. We have a self sense of importance, how great we are, how important we are, or the nation that we're part of or live in, or the political party we belong to, or we've got all the resources in the world because we've got all the money in the bank that we need. Yahweh, Adonai, the great I am. The self-existent one, the eternal one, the unchanging one, the covenant-keeping one, the God that's amongst us, Yahweh, the God that's amongst us. The word too sacred to speak in biblical days, Yahweh, so near amongst us. Oh, friends, Yahweh is here. This is not locked in biblical text. He's a living experience for you and for me. And lastly, the God of my salvation, Eloi. Without salvation, we are nothing. Without salvation, I'm committed to a lost eternity. Without salvation, I'm mere man for a moment. With salvation, I'm eternal. With salvation, I'm forgiven. With salvation, I'm a child of the living God. With salvation, this earth is not my home. Heaven is. With salvation... I am redeemed and I'm established and I'm worth something. I have an identity today. I'm special. I'm a living son of God. With salvation. I'm going to read it to you. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now I've got three children. And 26 grandchildren. What? How many grandchildren have you got? Nine. Feels like 26. 
And when my kids, Richard, Stephen, Dawn, hit times that are difficult for them, it could be out of money, they better not come to me. They could be going through a difficult time in their work. They could be going through a difficult time in their ministry. Could have fallen out with their neighbors or neighbors with them. I don't know. Could have crashed the car, run over a badger. Anything could happen in their lives. Whenever my kids are in that position of feeling, ah, life is just shocking. Do you know where they go? They come around to my house. And they come and they sit down. And whether they tell me about it or not, doesn't matter. But they just come into the place for them that's home. Where they feel safe. They feel surrounded. They don't have to prove themselves. They don't have to explain themselves. They just come and they are our children and our grandchildren. And whatever they say will not surprise us or shock us, and we can't love them any less, and we can't love them any more than our children. Just imagine what it's like living in the shelter, the home of God. See? Oh, shut up, Claude. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Most High? Lion, praise. You live in the shelter of praise. God's special presence will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Shaddai. I will say, the Bible says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he's my fortress, my God in whom I trust. How about a good confession every now and again? How about a declaration when you're in that worthless place? How about a declaration of who God is and where your trust is? And why don't you in that moment lift him up on high? Let not the situation speak to you. Speak back to it. I will say to the Lord, say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely then he will save you from the foulest snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield, be your rampart. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks you in the darkness, or the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you 
to guide you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and trample on the great lion and the serpent. But because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I'll protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me. I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Last week, we looked at whosoever dwells. Whosoever. Just remember, whosoever. He who dwells. Whosoever dwells. That includes me. And the place that I dwell is not here. I said, the place that we dwell is there right now. And we can enter the holy of the holies. We can go into the heavenlies right now. I was talking the other week to my old friend, John Lancaster, who's 96. And he said, Claude, this is not my home. It's not my home. I want to go home. And the amount of people that I sat with in the last stages of their life, Christian believers have said, I'm looking forward to going home. Sue's mum, I'm looking forward to going home. I want to see dad. I want to go home. My mum, I'm ready to go home now, Claude. I want to go home. I want to go home. This glorious world, this glorious heaven, this wonderful, wonderful dimension that we yet cannot see with our spiritual eyes, uh, with our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes we can see and taste and partake of. This is my home. I might float around here on planet Earth, but that's my home. So he, whoever, shelters in the shadow of the Almighty in his home will rest. In the Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory. He said last week. Is the living presence of God. The felt presence of God. The old Puritans used to say in their writings centuries ago. The felt Christ. They termed it as the felt Christ. What we don't know here. We feel here. We feel our faith here. We feel Jesus here. We feel the presence of Christ here. We feel the Shekinah glory here. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, as a result of waiting, I went to a waiting meeting. I went to a seeking meeting. I went to a meeting where we cried out for God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us, on me, and baptize me in the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah after 20 minutes of it, crying and praying and laying on of hands, after 20 minutes, half an hour, the Shekinah, the glory, the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon me and I was transformed. As a child of God, I was in a different dimension. Presence of the Shekinah. 
And the point in the Old Testament, the presence of Jekinah was every now and again. But when Jesus ascended and came back, wait and I'll pour out my spirit upon you. The Holy Spirit came. That was it. To stay. To stay. Wouldn't it be great if we had meetings and we again, Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit again, all over again. I mean, how many times do we enjoy swimming in the sea? How many times do you enjoy diving into a pool? How many times do we enjoy diving into God? More, Lord, more, give me more. There is more than we've ever thought of or imagined. Wouldn't they be great? I used to go to meetings like that. I used to go to some FGB meetings like that. Full gospel businessman. In the glory of God. The one thing is to taste the glory of God together. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 2 is taking as red, as firm, as absolute. God is your refuge. Not only is your refuge a place to run to, but he's your fortress. No one else can get at you. There is no demon. There is no devil. There is no other person. There is no other influence. There's no other negative can get at you when you're in his refuge and presence because he is your fortress. I once broke my leg playing football on ice. That's what we do in Yorkshire. That's why Leeds United is such a great team. And my dad said, my mum was in hospital and she'd just gone to hospital. The ambulance had just taken off hospital and I'm at home with my dad and other children. And I said, I'm going out to play football. So knock on the door. Some guys were playing football. He says, don't you go playing football. I said, but I want to play football. Dad, I want to play football. You got there, you break your leg on ice. And I said, I won't, I won't. And off I went. Quarter of an hour later, I'm to bring my dad out. Because I'm laid on the floor with a broken leg. They put a plaster cast around it. It hasn't healed very well. I now walk like that. My, my foot goes in that way. They cast it wrong. But that cast was a protection and a fortress to my leg so it could heal. Sometimes nobody can give you the right advice. Nobody can help you. Sometimes the people around you and you think, where are they all? Where are they? Where are they? No. The picture of the queen alone by herself at her husband's funeral. Sad beyond words when there's no one else can get near her. In those moments, God becomes your fortress. El Shaddai. I will say then, in my dark times, he's my refuge. He's my fortress. I don't say, the pastor hasn't visited me. I don't need him, I'm my own pastor. The pastor hasn't visited me, so and so hasn't visited me. God is my refuge. 
I haven't had those phone calls. I don't need them. God is my refuge. We fall out with one another. We fall out with the church so easily because they haven't fulfilled my expectation. Look, God's my refuge. He's my fortress. I think I'll trust in him. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. Foulest snare. I used to go shooting. Clay pigeon shooting. And I used to really enjoy clay pigeon shooting. Got quite good at it, really. It was wonderful. I've never shot anything that lives. But the fowler here is a person that captures birds. He's a hunter. He lays snares. He's out for the kill. My brother-in-law goes shooting and goes grouse shooting and all the rest of it. I could never do it. God is saying, Satan is like the fowler. He's like the hunter. He's like the roaring lion. Devouring who he may. And he's looking out for those of us he could take. And he's actually, he's got the world. He's looking for the church. And how do you capture? You lay bait. I lay bait. Because I want birds to come into my garden. Not to shoot them, but to appreciate them. He doesn't. He lays bait so he can kill And he'll mislead you. Some years ago, 10 years ago, I think it was, a friend of mine was in business. I may have told you the story. He said, Clark, come and join me in business. And he said, and, and I know you know the business well. Come and join me. Uh, I'll sell you my house really cheap, which is a beautiful house in the country. He said, you can have that. And he says, I'll give you this salary and so on. And you know, it was a moment when I was really tired. And I, do you know, David, when you've been cracking away years and years and don't seem to be getting anywhere, there's nobody listening. Yeah. We're all wanting shorter sermons. You know it, don't you? And I'm beginning to feel like that when this offer came. And I said to Sue, do you know, Sue, I can't believe this offer. Just look at this. And a moment I wanted to take it. I just wanted to take it. No financial worries anymore. No concerns anymore. Great. Living in the country, great. That suits me down to the ground. And I was pondering this when I didn't get a blinding flash of light, but that still small voice. When God really wants to talk to you, it's usually a still small voice. Listen to the still small voice. Not the clattering one. And I felt God is saying no. It's a snare. You will not serve me. You think you'll have no more financial concerns and you can do this and you can do that and you still go doing what you do. No, you won't. You'll be taken away and the whole of your life's ministry will be gone. And he comes in many ways in devices, in careers, and money, in relationships, and inheritances, and opportunities, 
and so on, to distract us. That's the snare of Satan. That is where you know, where is this food from? Is that enticement from the enemy, or is it a jewel from God that says, come this way? But surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the uh, deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with feathers under his wings and you'll find refuge. My friend Jules, who used to come to our church, was a campsite next to me. And he came and said, Claude, come on. Last spring, he says, come over here. And he took me into the barn. And I went into the barn. And he says, just look up there. And there's a beautiful bird. It was a thrush, actually. Just sat there on the nest. And you could get really close to it, it wouldn't move. Jules, beautiful, isn't it? Can you imagine? That's in my workshop, he says. Yes. And all of a sudden it moved. And as it moved, little heads popped out. And I didn't know they were there. Little chicks. When he comes, the protection that he puts around your fortress. But it's like a mother hen. He will settle his feathers over you so you don't even have to pop your head out into this cruel world. He'll smother you with his love and you'll feel so warm. You may have noticed that I've lost weight. Does anybody notice that? No. All right then. I've got a grandson who's seven years. How old is he? Seven is he? He always comes to our house, Luke, and he comes and he runs up to me. It's his place of rest. And he puts his head right there and lays down, puts his head there. And he said to me the other day, every time he comes, and he just lays there for ages and he gets on my phone and plays with stuff. And he says, Gandhi, my pillar is going. It seems not to be there anymore. He says, but my dad's got a right big pillow there. <laughs> Place of rest. Where do you find rest in this world? Where do you find rest? I tell you, we've had all the family over from South Africa and there's been nine in our house and everybody else. The state for a month. It's been the busiest time of my life. And the day they went, it's, most people are sad to see their children go. And I came back home, or, or the, well, they went off, they left someone to the airport. And we sat down, and all of a sudden it was, oh, rest. And the silence was so rich and so restful. And I thought to myself, I've got days of this now. This is lovely. Of course, after 24 hours, I'm wondering where all the noise is. But that kind of deep rest, huh? where do you find it? The shadow of the Almighty. You'll not fear the terror by night or the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the plague that destroys at midnight. When I lived in Bristol, I was head of you for Christ. And in those days, 
uh, we called it living by faith, but it was living without money. We were renting a house, belonged to a lovely Christian brother in, in, in Bristol on Falcondale Road. And I was only youngish. Well, how old was I? 20s, were we? Early 20s, mid-20s, something like that. And I used to go to bed every night frightened. And as soon as I got into bed, I started worrying. I became worried to the point that I couldn't sleep. I became afraid, sometimes terrified, that the no-money situation was going to collapse the whole of our family and I didn't have any money for us to feed, live, go anywhere, do anything, children. And I got terrified at night. The night is when the terrors come. It seems at the night time, when you put your head on your pillow, that you begin to worry. That's when all the negatives begin to flow into your mind and disturb your peace and your sense of sleep. Your depth. You worry, you worry, your nightmare through the night. But I'm telling you this, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will not fear the terrors of the night. And I'm telling you, those night terrors are inspired by demons because they're untrue. The terror is that you, your greatest fear will become a reality. That's when we worry the most about something that's never going to happen and hasn't happened. All the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, all the plagues that destroy at midnight, frightened about this virus, the whole world is, the whole nation is. We are more than concerned. Some of us are paranoid about it. Some of us, I'm very careful about it. I test even before I come here. I shall test probably tonight or tomorrow. I test, I test, I test. It's in my brain. It's in my living experience. Testing for this pestilence. But I'm told not to fear it. Because God supremely is in control. And nothing can happen to me outside of the action of God that allows it to come to me. It will either take me or it will strengthen me. It will do with my life whatever God wants it to do. And a thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but they will not come near me. You will say then that the Lord is my refuge and that make the most high your dwelling place. For he will command his angels concerning you. Finishing now. Do you believe in the ministry of angels? We have known visitation of angels in our home, Sue and I. In those terror moments, in these moments when there's no other solution, in those financial moments where we've been totally, 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 and I mean no money, people. No money. Not even money to go and buy shopping for the children to feed them. No money. We have had experiences of finding money on the work surface or somewhere in the house. 
We've had angels visit our house. Angels obey God. They're servants of God. They're his creation. Not only do they worship him, as a shepherd saw, the birth of Christ, but angels are there to worship God and to serve God in serving his creation. That's us. And the angels the angels will be commanded by God, it says here, concerning me, to guard me in all my ways, so that they will lift me up with their hands, that I might not strike my foot against the stone, that I might stumble for a moment. But I will not fall. I will not collapse. It will not come to an end. That they, they will actually lift me up. I don't come from a strong family in terms of fearless group of people. The Elrington's are not. We are quite a timid group of people. My elder brother so scared that when his wife went on holiday, he got the wardrobe and put it behind the door. So if anybody broke into the house, he couldn't get into his bedroom. That's the kind of family I come from. But when you think that as you're here now, this building is filled with the presence of angelic beings. You can't see them, but sometimes you can, but mostly not. You better believe it as you believe in the living God. You better believe in it as you believe in Jesus as your saviour. You better believe in it as you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You better believe it as you believe in church. Believe it. There are angels here this morning. And there are angels that are committed to Claude and Sue. And the way that we walk and the way we live. And they will guide us. And they will lift us up. And they will shape us. And when I cry out, Father, God, angel. He commands his angels. You go right to Claude's side now. But they're in desperate need. I'm not going to take away the need. They're going to they're going to they're going to learn from that. I'm going to show them my glory in that. But angel, you go and guard them. You stand by them. Be close to them. I believe in the ministry of angels for me. My wife, my children, my grandchildren, every one of us believe in angels and thank God for them. They're here and they're in your car and as you walk home and they're with you as you talk with people. They are there, angels, and you will entertain angels and not even be aware of it. Well, let's be aware of it more, angels. Holding you, guiding you. You're going to tread on demons and lions and cobras and great lions and the serpents. I could talk about spiritual warfare. But you have no need to be afraid of them. You'll step on them. You can trample on them. You can press them down. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I'm going to rescue him. I'm going to protect him.
They acknowledge my name. He, they, she will call on me and I'm going to answer them, be with them in trouble, deliver them, honor them. With long life I will satisfy them and I will show them my salvation. Psalm 91. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, let the true word of life penetrate our beings. God Almighty, this morning, 